There we go. Great. Well, I'd like to welcome everyone to our new podcast series we're launching right now that will feature founders, CEOs, and investors in the ad tech and martech spaces, also affectionately known as mad tech. My name is Jay MacDonald. I'm the founder, CEO, and managing partner of Digital Capital Advisors, which is our 10-year-old, actually this upcoming September, investment bank with offices in New York, Berlin, and San Francisco. This series will feature some of the industry's most successful entrepreneurs who have built rock-solid businesses that in some way have transformed the buying, selling, and or measuring of online advertising. Each podcast will last approximately 30 minutes, and today's kickoff show could not have a better, more appropriate launch guest than the founder and CEO of the localized programmatic platform, Simplify, Frost Prelow. Welcome to the show, Frost. Hey, thanks, Jay. Glad to be here. Yeah, we're delighted to have you. Why don't we start out with you sharing why you started Simplify back in 2010, speaking of 10-year-old companies, and what was kind of the original vision that you had, and how has the business evolved? Gosh, it's been a uh, it's been quite a wild ride in the 10 years. We started off um, back in, yeah, 2010, uh, and originally, uh, it's really right when real-time bidding was started, uh, getting started. And originally, we, uh, we came out with um, a, a thought, and the, the basically founding premise was that while real-time bidding was uh, going to revolutionize the world by enabling uh, advertisers to buy impressions, uh, one impression at a time, um, what uh, we saw the other DSPs that were starting then were sort of carrying over this legacy approach to targeting audiences using prepackaged audience segments, you know, like the famous soccer moms or Hawaiian right. vacation buyers or, or Toyota Prius buyers. And, uh, and so our approach was to say, hey, isn't this the opportunity to make buying of uh, at that time program uh, display a lot more like search, where if you go to a Toyota dealer in, uh, in Palo Alto, California, uh, you don't you, you don't say, hey, they don't go to Google for search and give me your give me your Toyota buyers. They say, give me uh, they upload a list of keywords that they think are relevant and they uh, they see which ones work, see which ones don't work and optimize, put their money and uh, dollars and spend around the ones that do work. And so we brought that same approach to programmatic where we enabled people to work with what we called unstructured data, basically much more granular data that was optimized on the fly. Um, and, uh, and that is, that approach has turned out, we found a, about a year or two in that that was really accept, really applicable to local advertisers because local advertisers like to customize audiences to the local needs. I mentioned the Toyota dealer in Palo Alto is very different. It's where my brother lives. It's very different than the Toyota dealer here in Fort Worth, Texas, where I live. Cause here they've got a lot full of Tundra pickup trucks and out there, they've got a lot full of Priuses, right? Right. Um, so tar- so, so different audience. And then, um, and then just also the ability to optimize uh, campaigns uh, with much lower volume uh, because you had so much more granular data. And so we've uh, we've been focusing on uh, bringing programmatic to uh, people who want to localize their campaigns. Right. And, and the data side of your business has obviously had to evolve significantly from the, you know, from the beginning, right? That, um, you know, 10 years worth of collecting valuable data has had to significantly impact in, in, in a positive way your targeting ability at the localized level. Very much so. So we, um, when we started, of course, mobile phones weren't or smartphones weren't uh, weren't a thing. Um, and so as we focused on local advertisers, it became pretty clear 
uh, early on that mobile was going to be a very important uh, uh, media type and targeting methodology uh, for local advertisers because they're very interested in targeting tight uh, tight locations as well as looking at uh, foot traffic and whether they're driving actual foot traffic to a store. So we actually ended up building a full mobile DMP, and uh, we've ne- we've worked with our own DMP from from day one. And so where we collect raw mobile data uh, enable advertisers to customize. Uh, geofences uh, around that. Um, and then and then really, you know, beyond that, the uh, the real uh, in, in, in targeting uh, it started when we started thinking about local, uh, people thought, hey, local's like a DMA level. And uh, as targeting got tighter, we went down to, well, city level, it got better. And then as we started getting mobile data, it went to uh, zip level. And then a couple of years ago, we rolled out household level addressable targeting where advertisers can actually upload um, a list of addresses or use use data embedded in our system to uh, to pick out the particular households that they want to target and uh, target those. So, yeah, the data has absolutely evolved and uh, is a big part of uh, what we do. And, and when you think about the omni-channel guys like Trade Desk and Google's and, um, and MediaMath, you know, how do you how do you differentiate yourself in the marketplace? Yeah, so two things. And so we're also an omni-channel guy. We have a very fast-growing business in our connected TV space. And coming into this time, it's amazing uh, the acceleration that uh, that we're seeing. It was the fastest-growing part of our business last year, and it just continues that way. Um, but the uh, the real differentiation from our perspective is uh, is on a couple of things. One, we we are very comfortable with uh, advertisers uh, who want to manage multi multiple locations. So as, as opposed to uh, you think of a a, um, a um, Insurance, say, call it an insurance broker who might run, who might have thousands of agents or offices across the country. Uh, whereas uh, many of you know, those other cam- other platforms would say, "Hey, we're going to run you a national campaign to hit all of your all all of your insurance brokers." What we'll do is uh, offer the ability to go in and run 5,000 unique campaigns, one for each broker uh, with different messaging. So the picture uh, and or address or email address of the local broker from where the uh, campaign is um, and, uh, and, and, and unique attribution on the other side. And so the ability to say, hey, how did this work for each one? So we get down to a much more granular approach. And uh, it's interesting as as the right where we are now is is the country looks to come out of this uh, of this lockdown. What we're seeing is national brands saying, hey, that's interesting to us because you know we have California coming out at one rate, Texas where I live is coming out right. sooner, and we want different messages at different uh, in different locations. And so it's uh, it's been pretty applicable to the current environment. Uh, terrific. Well, you know, as the leader in the localized programmatic advertising. One of the reasons why we're excited to have you as our first guest is that Simplify has a unique window or lens into kind of the small and mid-sized business marketplace, right? And given, you know, given the circumstance of COVID-19 and its, and its effects, what insights do you see now? What's the prognosis for the balance of the year as it relates to uh, localized advertising? Well, I'm, uh, you know, if I were to say my crystal ball is completely clear, uh, you know, I would not be telling you the truth. Um, but uh, certainly, and, and there's been a lot in the, in the press and with uh, stock analysts about companies with SMB uh, type uh, exposure to SMB. And certainly uh, we we see that, um, you know, it, it, overall, uh, they have they have 
come down uh, significantly over last year's over last year's numbers, uh, where it's actually we were, we were seeing them you know, initially starting off this year, we were growing at about a 30% clip as we have for the last few years. Um, and so now they're actually down year, year over year. Uh, I'd say the good news is, uh, in, the, in this, we're recording this here sort of towards the end of April, is April has been a very steady base and we've seen actually uh, increases throughout the month. Uh, and we've also uh, heard just anecdotally from our sales force and our partners that there, we have a lot of campaigns being teed up uh, for as to be launched as different parts of the country are opening. And we've seen that, uh, you know, from if you by verticals, you know, we saw auto dealers initially shut down. We've seen a lot of them come back sort of pushing online uh, their ability to transact uh, touch-free. We've seen a lot of restaurants come back. Uh, we've seen actually healthcare. Uh, we do a lot of work with um, elective healthcare providers or procedures and uh, and seen those uh, start to advertise as, as hospitals open up for uh, for other types of uh, other types of procedures, and so it's been it's been vertical. We don't do thankfully much travel, um, but uh, travel for, for the part we do uh, has certainly not. We have not seen that that area come back. Interestingly enough, um, you know, we do some in the legal profession, and uh, lawyers they they spend money all the time. They're spending money. Uh, they're spending money in the good times and in bad. So that's been a really steady steady uh, uh, group for us. Yeah, they do like to spend. Um, well, when you think about it, let's stay on that theme for a little bit, right? So, because you are a little bit of a barometer, right, in terms of what you're seeing as a country, as the country begins its rollout, right? Uh, uh, you know, in certain areas like New York City are going to be locked down for quite some time, and other areas like Georgia have begun to open up. Your own state of Texas has begun to open up. So, you're seeing some of those those advertisers, as you said, auto dealers and uh, and others who were who might have uh, been out of the market when the pandemic uh, first started. And you're starting to see them come back a little bit very much so i was on actually uh one of those states i was on the phone with a customer uh, in georgia in atlanta uh just as they were opening up and i i can't say that tattoo parlors are a big part of our our business <laughs> there uh but they were they were they were actually very excited that uh many small businesses were opening up in in georgia and just yeah just over, over the last few days as we uh wrap up here in april uh we're getting more and more messages in of, we had a lot of campaigns that were just paused frankly and right. so they yep. just, hey the campaign's in place just stop spending. And so uh, where people are taking their finger off the pause button and uh, and want to be back out in front of customers. I mean, our role as we see in, in it uh, here is to how do we help our advertisers get their customers back and let, let them message back to their customers that uh, that they're open for business in the type of business uh, that they're in the type of services and products that they're selling. And uh, so we we have seen that absolutely in uh, in many of the areas that are kind of on the leading edge of uh, this opening up. Right. And to quantify that, you're in a, in a typical month, I think you run about 130,000 campaigns uh, for about 30,000 unique advertisers. Where, where do things stand today? Are you able to quantify that or is it uh, still a little bit of a, uh, you know, a little bit of a black box at the moment while, while uh, advertisers begin to come back and others may be slower to come back? Yeah, I haven't, you know, actually, I haven't run the numbers on number of campaigns for this month yet. Uh, what we have seen, uh, or number and uh, in ad, and or advertisers, what we have seen is a lot of shifting uh, in this period. So if you think about if we have a fair amount of work that's done in geofencing, where, you know, a car dealer wants to target people who visited a competitive car dealer or a, uh, or, or uh, a vendor, uh, 
golf shop wants to target people who've been on a golf course or what have you. So we've seen a ton of shifting away from our geofence uh, solution just because people aren't out uh, in places where you might target them or, you know, airports is often common. People want to target people traveling through airports. Um, on the flip side, we have seen uh, we, we have seen a shift towards our product, which is our addressable geofencing solution, which is our household addressable product, because all of a sudden you have people at home, right? And, and we can pick very uh, specific purchase level uh, demog- and demographic data to target the households that advertisers want to target. If you think of a corner Walgreens or CVS, and uh, where, whose market they may be a five mile radius of their store, uh, they can go into our plant, go and say, hey, I'm, I'm selling, uh, here's an ad for Pampers, and I just want to target the households within a five mile radius that have, um, that have kids uh, under the age of two in their household. And so they're able to, able to do that. So we've seen a ton of shifting of tactics. Um, and then similarly, as I mentioned earlier, and then on the media types, um, I think or I know that this uh, whole situation has really opened up the eyes of a lot of advertisers to what's been going on. We've been watching going on is a shift to uh, advertising supported uh, video on demand or AVOD, as they call it. And so uh, there's been a ton of uh, a ton more traffic, a ton more streaming being done. And I think a lot of the people who do the advertiser are saying, oh, now I get it. Here's here's what this uh, the dressable. Uh, or our real-time bidded uh, CTV advertising is all about, and uh, we and so that also has been, we've seen a big shift towards that. Right, and so one of the trends that that um, that I've been hearing a lot about talking to folks in the marketplace, particularly brands, is that brands uh, you know are looking at this opportunity to take uh, take more control over their own advertising. Um, and if that's, if that ends up being the case, is that a positive thing for you? Is it a uh, neutral? Is it negative? No, we work, uh, with brands, however they want to work with us. So in the, in the large part for, or in the, for the most part, most brands still work through agencies and we're happy to, and we do most of our work through agencies. Um, if, uh, there of course are brands who, uh, and often it's the brands that we've seen that in their, perhaps the direct consumer space who are very interested in maintaining their own data and, and being very performance driven. Often uh, brands who have already brought search in-house and they've already brought social in-house will often think about, well, maybe the next, uh, the next leg to that stool that they're going to bring in-house is their programmatic offering. Um, and so we, we work with brands. I have actually not heard uh, brands say, oh, this is the time I'm going to I'm going to bring in. I think what we do see is um, everyone looking to be as efficient as possible. And so if brands think it's more efficient for them to bring to to bring that to staff that functionality in-house than to have it run by an agency, I could see that happening. Um, we also very much see a move a movement towards maybe we'll talk about this later towards um, performance attribution. Uh, brands are very interested as we as we are doing proposals and agencies, uh, very, very interested in making sure that every dollar that they have in their advertising budget is being spent well, and they can know what uh, what kind of return they're getting on. Right, right. Yeah, no, we're going to go, we're going to address those, uh, because I think that's an important trend that we're seeing. I'd be remiss, though, if I didn't ask your view on, uh, on how the death of the cookie will affect programmatic going forward. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, that was, we were all about the cookie that was, that was consuming us in February. Right. And, uh, and we exactly. haven't even talked about a cookie, uh, you know, exactly. since then. And, and in fact, um, if some of that has been pushed out a little bit by the current situation, as I, as I think you saw with Google, um, 
but in, in our particular, well, in general, yes, it's a, it's a big change. I think, uh, uh, to me, uh, people will figure out how to target still a variety of ways. I think the attribution is almost a bigger change is just is getting the attribution, uh, whatever replaces the cookie in line to uh, to really provide the attribution that advertisers are looking for. Uh, in our space, we have been uh, very much focused on uh, mobile, uh, where there's really not uh, you know very few cookies available and CPV for yep. the last two years. So our our identity graph over the last uh, several years, as we are building into mobile, has shifted uh, much further away from a browser-based cookie and more towards a IDFA or IFA uh, on a mobile device and a CTV device. Right. Yeah. I think uh, it's very funny. You're right. There was a lot of chatter in December, January and February about the cookie. And it's been uh, it's been awfully quiet in that regard since. (laughs) Yes, that that has been crowded out. That will be back, I'm sure. uh, It it hasn't been here for the last uh, eight weeks or so. Right. Exactly. So so when you're looking at the upfronts, right, so 40 to 60 percent of TV ads will be bought this year via the upfront. And that's down. That's down from 70 to 80%, which, which a lot of people predict will uh, lead advertising to shift those dollars to the OTT platform. What's your view? Yeah, it's uh, so this whole shift towards CTV, which we say, you know, both in cord cutting plus the advertising dollars that follow is just being accelerated by this by this whole situation. Um, I think it's you know so many moving parts. Uh, and interestingly, when this whole when when the uh, beginning of the shutdown uh, and sort of the recession, we we're all saying, oh, my gosh, a real recession's coming. One of the things we thought in the digital like, well, hey, this isn't good for digital because. Uh, we have short-term contracts. People can shut down, uh, shut down advertising pretty quickly uh, on our and other uh, digital platforms. Uh, and so that we saw in like, but with TV, they're already locked in for the budget they have. And they have a tough time shutting down. But on the way back up, um, we see a lot. Uh, there's certainly, as you mentioned, a lot of dollars un, un, that are unattached. They're uncommitted now. Plus, you have the uh, shutting down of sports, uh, the shutting down of the Olympics. So a lot right. of dollars out there that we're going to be uh, going both to the upfronts and various live sport events that are hanging out there uh, looking looking for a place, uh, looking for a home. Um, and what's um, What's interesting is, as I mentioned, on the way down, whereas we were very flexible and people could cut digital out of their programs very quickly, on the way back up, uh, we hear advertisers saying, well, I don't know what I'm going to be doing in Q3. Uh, I don't know how much I want, what my targeting is going to be, et cetera, et cetera. So I think the flexibility of digital on the way back up, the ability to start, stop campaigns, adjust campaigns, change budgets, uh, change targeting as as necessary, depending on the uh, on on how they're going to be advertising, is going to be a real advantage in digital in general and in connected TV in in particular. Right. So yeah. So so coming out of lockdown, some of the trends that you see, expect to see, connected TV is certainly one of them, um, and you're seeing the proliferation of that already. Uh, what else? Yeah. So um, as, as I mentioned earlier, the um, 
the we think budgets are going to be tighter. Certainly, you know, we'd love to sit here and go, hey, anything that they didn't spend in April, they're just going to go spend that later in the quarter or, or later in the year. And so I think uh, advertisers are going to pocket a lot of that uh, money and say, well, I'm not going to spend that. Maybe I'll continue spend. But budgets, are uh, I'll continue my spend or maybe even a lower level, depending on their business later in the year. So I think budgets are going to be tight. I think uh, as we've seen in the past, we're going to move down the funnel a little bit. There'll be less money for sort of high level branding and more like, Hey, what is, what kind of, what, what, what is the type of advertising that can deliver a rapid and direct return to me? So you move down funnel um, more towards the performance state, uh, the ability to uh, both drive measurable results. So whether that's in our world, foot traffic or online purchases, you know, we can now go from a connected TV ad directly to, to traffic, to uh, measure online purchases and foot traffic driven, uh, driven by that TV ad. I think that whole, um, that whole uh, measurability will be uh, super important and uh, as well as, as well as ROI. All right. And so what, what, what's your view on uh, the retail sector in general? The, uh, the retail sector, sector looks like it's getting, uh, it's getting pummeled. You've had uh, Neiman Marcus, uh, you know, very quickly file for Chapter 11, Lord and Taylor, you know, Lord and Taylor. And people are predicting the, uh, you know, the final death uh, of uh, retail. Um, but, you know, from an advertising standpoint, what do you, what do you think? Yeah, um, so we have done some local retail. It hasn't been a big segment for us. Um, but yes, I think uh, as far as having a crisis to accelerate trends, you had this long-term trend in, in retail that was moving towards e-commerce. And uh, just just like we we're talking about the CTV trend being accelerated, uh, I think absolutely we're seeing uh, seeing seeing acceleration in the move towards towards e-commerce and uh, the ability for these large retailers to to maintain large uh, large fancy stores is going to be very very difficult. Except you know it, with the, there always will be the exceptions, but in general, uh, gosh, there's uh, maybe somewhat of an aside. But I was looking uh, just messing around with some stocks. There's an ETF that actually sh- uh, goes long uh, e-commerce in shorts. Uh, retail, uh, you know, uh, physical <laughs> commerce, and yes, and that would have been a, that would have been a good investment. Uh, it's done well this year, let me just say. and I and I think that's going to be a uh, it's probably an ongoing trend. Right. So so when you think about the recovery, um, you talked about the way down and then uh, the, the the way back. You know, everybody's loving to ask these days. Speaking of uh, CNBC and all the pundits and stuff like that, people are predicting either the the V shape or the U-shaped recovery. But what's your view and from what you're beginning to see, and particularly as it relates to small business, you know, uh, now beginning to open up again? Yeah, um, and the other one I heard, I was actually listening to CNBC, there was a guy from Blackstone on there. He says, well, he heard another one, the, the Nike swoosh-shaped uh, recovery, <laughs> which which I actually thought was, uh, which I actually thought was probably pretty pretty good and pretty right. consistent. And, right. um, you know, we're, um, you know, so our, Concern, especially on the and uh, on the small business side, we actually do a lot of national uh, national uh, multi location brands as well. Um, yeah. But but our concern, especially on the small business side, uh, is just making sure these guys have stayed in business and helping them get their customers back. Because typically, uh, many SMBs, you know, just don't have the the staying power that, uh, right. that or access to capital that that others do. Um, and and again, um, you know, we. Uh, uh, 
in we, we we do a lot of auto. Uh, we do a lot of health. I think we'll see those guys come back uh, with advertising budgets uh, pretty quickly. Um, we do uh, some legal. I would say that's that's steady. Uh, travel people, and we do some travel uh, on that side. Uh, Las Las Vegas casinos uh, that, and those sort of things. So I would expect them to be coming back much more slowly. The good news is those are bigger businesses. Hopefully, with a little um, a little better staying staying power. Uh, right. But it's very. Um, I think you know, as we said, as we kind of alluded to earlier, very vertical specific and very region. Uh, specific uh, to the extent we have folks in in New York, um, you know, they'll they'll be much longer coming back than than some of our folks in Texas or Georgia or other states that are opening up early. Right, great. Yeah. So, a couple more questions. We're getting we're getting down close to our thirty minute timeline here. Um, I'm curious. So, years back, you brought in a private equity group, uh, Frontier Capital, and then several years uh, several years after working with them, um, you uh, you moved on to GTCR, a much bigger private equity group. Talk to us. Uh, talk to the listeners a little bit about what life been like. Uh, you know, working with private equity, both um, kind of a smaller group like Frontier and a larger group like uh, GTCR. Yeah, it's been a it's been a real positive experience for us. Uh, Frontier came in at a time uh, when when we were looking for growth capital, and I uh, really credit uh, Michael Ramick and the team up there with uh, with really helping the company evolve. They kind of interesting group. They were very much um, typically invest in SaaS businesses, and we are not a SaaS business. But they said, well, we're going to measure you guys like a SaaS business, and so they got us very much thinking about LTV to CAC and our NPS scores and net recurring revenue and measuring that. And as you know, the things you you measure and you focus on are things that uh, you tend to improve on. And so they uh, they were a very positive experience. At the end of their kind of, we had gotten them sort of where they needed to go with their investment, and uh, so. Uh, they were actually looking to get out. And at that point, uh, we were uh, lucky enough to track the attention of GTCR, uh, who's, who's a really high quality uh, firm at, out of Chicago, been the company that pe- a lot of people haven't heard of, but has been in business for 30 years and has a, has a large fund. And there, um, they are uh, been super helpful to us. They tend to have a philosophy where they go and find teams they like and they back them. Um, and so they have, and they have done just that, uh, just that with us, been super supportive uh, as we've continued to, to, to grow the business and uh, have a ton of uh, helpful ideas and, and thoughts. So, so far, so far, so good. Hopefully we won't give them a reason to, to be, be anything but supportive. So that's our, that's our job. <laughs> Great. Well, one final question for you, and I think it's probably appropriate the way to end, right? Because you, um, you, you founded the company in 2010, I believe, and um, the economy was pretty good. And uh, you've had some, you've certainly had a very good run, uh, some good partners in your private equity partners. Uh, you guys have executed flawlessly as a management team. So, but how has the pandemic uh, lockdown, has that changed how you've managed Simplify? Any tools that you found helpful in managing the company? And, and do you feel like this has uh, any kind of lasting impact on your management style going forward? Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. I've not been on a plane probably like anyone else for for six weeks, and uh, and so my wife and daughter, my college age daughter who's home, are seeing a lot a lot more of me than they usually do. Hopefully, they they don't get tired of me. Um, you know, it's interesting with Simplify. We have very much we've got uh, about three hundred employees uh, in or little 
in, in Fort Worth, Texas, uh, our, our engineering, our client support, our accounting, and just our salespeople are out. So we've been very much a company that's been somewhat centralized and, and frankly, have resisted a lot of work from home. We, we're flexible and, and, and allow right. some. Um, and we were just uh, we, we were just about to move into a new space, which we're super excited about, uh, on March 12th before we sent, before <laughs> we sent everyone to work from home. So we have a, a gorgeous brand new space sitting there empty uh, for this time. And we're sitting there like, well, why do we even need that? Do we, right. do we even need that spot? And uh, I think we have a uh, we, we have a very collaborative culture. We actually want we enjoy being together. We actually want to get back together. Um, I do think that uh, going forward, we will be uh, like many companies uh, more flexible about working from home because, frankly, you know, we measure we measure a lot of productivity metrics uh, in in across some of our teams, and we've actually seen product met- our argument for working from home has been taken away because our team has been very, very productive working from home. So we can't point to that anymore because they are actually doing better. Um, so we will, I'm sure, be more flexible. This I hope no one in our company listens to this and takes that as a promise, but uh, but we will do that. And other than that, we've been, and we are, we've been huge Slack users um, already. So Slack has been is an embedded part of our culture, the way we communicate. And uh, certainly Zoom has uh, now... Um, now jump to the forest. I'm, I'm amazed at all the phone calls that I have where if I had those calls in January, in February, I would have just had a phone call. And now, uh, you know, I got to put on a shirt and, uh, and look and pull my hair for, cause we have, cause we're going to be on camera here. <laughs> so right. I, I think that will survive. Uh, that's great. Well, look, um, we couldn't be more delighted to have you as our very first guest. Um, I want to thank, uh, I want to thank you frost, uh, your entire team, um, stay safe. We appreciate you joining us, especially being the first one on our launch series here at uh, our new uh, podcast series. And ladies and gentlemen, this has been uh, series number one of Digital Capital Advisors podcast featuring Frost Prelo and Simplify. Thank you all. Thanks, Shane.